Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. While the cultivated meat industry has overcome significant upstream processing and regulatory hurdles in the last year, new market research suggests that startups still face notable downstream food manufacturing challenges that could place them, along with investors and consumers, in a dangerous position. A new report from the Life Sciences Food and Beverage Consultancy, CRB, found in the past two years the cultivated meat industry has grown exponentially, with new players entering the space with new business strategies. And in doing so, they have attracted significant investments, lowered production costs to inch closer to price parity for select items, and helped drive up consumer interest. But as CRB Alternative Protein's sub-market leader Sebastian Bond notes in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, the timeline for getting cultivated meat into the hands of mainstream Americans via retail could be upwards of six or seven years, with more limited availability in the next three to five years at restaurants. This is still a best-case scenario, though, and getting there will require strategic partnerships to efficiently scale production, increased investment across the supply chain to lower input costs, and enhanced contract manufacturing that frees up resources and bandwidth for others to develop additional cell lines and media formulation. Because each of these components will move forward at different speeds for different players, Bond expects to see a shakeout, but who will survive and who will fall remains anyone's guess. So while the cellular meat industry is still in its early days, Bond says the segment is growing fast thanks to a foundation of established technology, sustained government and investor interest, and a raft of benefits that resonate with both consumers and businesses. One of the, the neat things about this industry is it is so new, but the technology itself isn't. So when you're talking about the basis for how all of these processes are starting, that cell culture operation has been in the life sciences industries, industry for decades. The new aspect to this and, and why there's, I think, this lower barrier of entry from a technology standpoint, at least to get started, is because of that technology having been around but now it's how to apply it to this food process. And when we're talking about right, this exponential growth that we've seen and experienced is, I think the, the last numbers have ranged anywhere from you know, over 90 to over 150 with just by uh, this time this year, as far as companies in the space, both on the meat side and the seafood side for cultivated products, it's, it really has just been an exponential growth. And, Again, even from just the U.S. footprint, there's a lot of movement in Israel. There's a lot of movement in Singapore. And as those companies have started to grow and take on the next level of scale for their processes, we're starting to see even a lot more movement within um, other countries such as China, such as Japan, such as you know a lot of the individual countries within Europe, putting a renewed focus on realizing that this Space is not going away. It's not a trend that you know consumers might buy into initially, but there's a, a lot of benefits, and I think the 
overall market, even though it's in its nascent stages, is still just going to continue to explode as we're seeing. For example, Bond called out the climate benefits of cultivated meat compared to traditional animal agriculture, the potential for more local production, and the ability to make products that consumers actually want and will meet their taste, texture, and functional requirements. Besides pure excitement of being able to make meat in a tank and that, you know, that hopefully at the end of the day is going to taste good and, and be at a quality and price point that the consumer wants, but then there's just all these additional factors that play into, you know, this is a real opportunity um, or a, a disruption just within the, the overall food industry. Everything from the uh, renewed and global focus and emphasis on uh, climate impacts and trying to minimize everything across the board from supply chains to manufacturing, how do we reduce the overall um, carbon footprint of all of these operations, along with just, you know, as we've seen recently with the pandemic across the globe, all of the supply chain issues that created within the uh, food system. And, and so food security became a really hot issue. Um, couple that along just with in, in general, there's, you know, a lot of focus put on food, uh, food cleanliness, uh, clean manufacturing, clean labeling. It, it's kind of come to just a head, I think, that the technology, again, even though it's still nascent in the full-scale manufacturing of some of this, but you have all of these other global factors that are now bringing, the, you know, so to say, the rising tide, in this case, the cultivated meat space, is really being able to take advantage of that because what a lot of the, the processes and, and these companies are pushing for is obviously more sustainable manufacturing practices. Um, I think a, another big one as far as why some companies are really getting into it, especially in areas where, you know, you might not have millions of acres of farmland just sitting idle and ready to be used or millions of acres of um, ranch land that can be uh, used to, you know, either bring your uh, cattle on or, or start um, hog farming or anything like that. And so when you're looking at from a food security standpoint, that's not only of interest to, let's say, the consumer, but then that's, of course, of interest to the, the policymakers and, and the government officials in these different countries. And so we're seeing, again, some, some more push and support in those areas, along with just the regulatory aspect of, in our case here in the U.S., right, the, the FDA and the USDA are, are the key decision makers on making sure that everything is going to be uh, approved and acceptable for human consumption. But in, in other countries, they all have their own individual regulatory body. And we're seeing in Singapore, um, that's already the, the cultivated meat has already been deemed acceptable. You know, Israel's pushing for it. Um, some of these other countries for those same reasons of producing uh, a reduction in climate impact along with just that food security, because then if I don't need to import all of these different kinds of meats, well, I can just make them here, you know, in my own country, then you reduce any of that risk of, you know, what, what happens with the next pandemic or something that we don't even know about yet. So, Despite the benefits of and buzz surrounding cultivated meat created by FDA's tacit approval of two companies' products in less than a year and viral publicity stunts like the mammoth meatball created by Australian startup Vow, the industry has a lot of challenges to overcome before it can seize its full potential. 
Vaughn explains that many companies are still in the proof of concept stage and only benchtop or pilot scale production, and nearly all are grappling with high costs and limited inputs, both of which can only be addressed with increased investments elsewhere in the supply chain and in adjacent downstream manufacturing. There's a lot of companies in the space, but a majority of them are going to be still in the you know, the lab, the, the benchtop scale, and more of a, a proof of concept. Now, there are a, a few uh, that have already gone public with some of their plans for their manufacturing facilities at more of a commercial scale. Um, but if I, you know, we're, we're looking at the numbers of those facilities, it's, you know, call it today, under, under seven that come to mind as far as, you know, full commercial scale manufacturing. And Part of the the challenge, again, is the benchtop and lab scale and even pilot scale. So when we're talking about um, annual throughput, I mean, it, it's still you know, like a 50,000-ish plus or minus square foot facility that has a couple systems in place to get meat produced, and then they have their downstream processing to for their final product formulation and packaging. Um it's not, you know, necessarily going to make a, a dent in the total supply chain, but these initial proof of concepts and proving out that you can make these a commercial scale, I think that that's really that next big hurdle of we have a lot in the pipeline. There's a lot in the pilot and benchtop scale. Um, a couple are now moving to that next stage of proving out commercialization and commercial viability of the process itself. But along with just even having the number of facilities up and running, there's those other hurdles that you know are are discussed for this industry, such as capital equipment, cost of the equipment, um, as opposed to right a, a drug product where some of the process equipment is very similar to that process. It's highly costly, so there's people tackling you know bioreactor costs, let's say, and then from a, an ingredient side of what actually feeds the cells, that's still a, a very costly item. So there's different avenues that companies are trying to take at supporting this cultivated meat industry to help bring price point down. Another interesting point to, to note is when we're looking at even capital investment within the next um, three, three years from some surveys that we've seen, most folks are looking at facilities or at least these initial pilot facilities, roughly in the $20 million mark. And so when you're looking at a full-scale commercial facility, the throughput that can be done with such a such an investment and, and such a scale of a facility is still relatively small to, you know, to compare it to even the overall you know, meat industry as a whole. When you're talking about traditional meat manufacturing facilities, pumping out, you know, and you're measuring everything in tons, whereas facilities in the cultivated space are still looking at, you know, pounds per per year or pounds per day at some uh, at some scales. There's still that manufacturing uh, supply gap that is not insurmountable. We're just currently at a state where there's still a lot of growth that uh, is to be had. There's been a lot of investment just into the companies themselves making the product. So I think. Yeah, GFI's um, recent report was, you know, to date over $2 billion, and we're talking almost a billion year over year um, since 2020. 
we'll have we'll be yet to see what 2023 holds but a lot of that investment is specifically just in those technology enablers of of the cultivated meat so the the ones manufacturing the products there has not been as much investment um or even startups themselves looking at the supply chain now those are starting to to grow in quantity such as the folks looking at let's say the um the the media supply chain so when you're talking about the ingredients to feed the cells in traditional cell culture there are existing and established manufacturers of these media compounds the growth factors and everything else that's required however those are all at right, pharmaceutical price points and so there's a, a push and a need within the cultivated meat market to figure out ways to reduce that cost burden and, and some companies are tackling this problem internally um, such as I believe you know Believer was working on it internally and then the announcement where their partnership with ADM on continuing to try to bring the price down you know another company is uh, Merck where they're looking at uh, creating media formulation specifically for the cultivated meat market and I think that's really where a lot of this needs to go um, you know you like to joke you, you got to take the farm out of food in this case so there's a lot of innovation also happening in the the ag industry trying to make you know more feed grade ingredients for different processes and, and again that might be another opportunity for partnership or, or some type of investment you know across industries where from a media perspective there's an opportunity to bring price down from an equipment perspective you're right. It is a little more, bit more challenging because a lot of the equipment manufacturing uh, companies are typically uh, already established as well, and the ones who supply the traditional meat markets. And then on the life sciences side, you have your established traditional bioreactor manufacturers or or other uh, equipment. And you're right when you're talking, you know, for just say uh, your average 2,000 liter bioreactor at you know a million plus dollars a, a skid that that's a huge cost burden for some of these companies to a just take on themselves add to the capital costs and the infrastructure for their facility but then at the same time they're taking a risk on that equipment because they need to test it out and and i think that's where the there's also been a big push for some of these other startups that are looking to be more of the dmos or um contract organizations to develop just that upstream process and then these companies can focus on improving, you know, the cell lines themselves, the media formulation, and then even on the downstream side, some of our survey results here in the next couple of years, as some of these startups are looking at more of an asset light approach to their uh, operations, they might be partnering more with CMOs even on the downstream. So as opposed to needing to invest in the R&D and the equipment for how are they going to take the cell mass to their final product, they can work with CMOs, who already have the facilities that are food grade with the equipment that they, they need and then test and prove scalability uh, at their sites. With so many moving components and logistics to navigate, Bond says a realistic time frame for cultivated meat hitting mainstream retail is in about 7 to 10 years. Although he expects by that point, many consumers will be comfortable buying and trying cultivated meat because manufacturers will have rolled out their products through restaurants and in more limited offerings while they scale their production. What we'll end up seeing is more of a phased rollout, if you will. Um, and what I mean by that is it won't be from one day to the next that 
you know, manufacturing facilities are going to be up and running. The approval is going to come out and everybody's pumping the cultivated meat out of their plants to hit the shelves. Um, we'll have more of a, a phase rollout of, you know, likely just initial restaurants that are, be, are able to sell the product once approval is through. And a lot of that is just going to be based on the supply chain of the space. Um, including just the manufacturing uh, facilities that are even online at the point in time. So what, what we've seen in some recent surveys uh, that we've been able to, to send out is the average producer in the cultivated space is thinking, you know, likely the FDA and USDA approvals will be here within two years, roughly two years out. But again, that's not to say that when that regulatory approval actually comes down and says, okay, yep, everybody's ready to, to is okay to eat this product, there's still then the question of how many facilities are going to be up and running, what is the throughput of these facilities, and at, at what scale and, and what locations are these going to be at, and, and is the supply chain and distribution also set up at that point in time. So that's where, again, I think when you look at the average duration to, to build a new facility or even retrofit a facility where you need to have significant production um, of any food product, it's likely in the ballpark of, you know, 12 to 16 months, let's just say, especially with some of the supply chain issues of construction uh, materials and, and equipment that is required for these processes. So even for somebody, uh, if, you know, these 50 of the, the 150 or 50 of the 100 startup companies today decide, okay, we're putting shovels in the ground uh, as soon as possible for our planned facility, and it's going to be full steam. That's still, you know, 12 to 16 months out. So we both understand that <laughs> I think the case of 50 being ready to put shovels in the ground today is, is not likely, but, you know, over the the next two years as the FDA continues to work through um, the requirements and the USDA works through their reviews, uh, couple that with the, the increased investments that are continuing to, to be pushed into the space and the increased partnerships that happen, um, it's likely still another you know three to five years out before you start seeing it to be a little bit more commonplace, maybe a few select retailers. And then, you know, after that point in time, once manufacturing is fully up and running at a, a scale to be able to provide um, and supply the market demand, I think that is likely still another, you know, six, seven years out. As the cultivated meat industry continues to evolve and some players clear regulatory production and consumer perception hurdles more quickly than others, Bond warns that there will be a shaking out as there has been across all cutting-edge industries as they mature. My assumption is, is we will see a shakeout. Now, I think what we'll end up seeing is you'll have, you know, your your handful that actually become the partnerships with the, the big companies, such as the JBSs, the Tysons, the Cargills, the ADMs, and they'll just become part of those organizations as, as they invest in them and, and rather than spin off into their own company. And you'll have the the few that, you know, maybe similar to that plant-based company you're referencing, um, bit off more than they can chew in the sense of they may have invested too much of that capital up front into a technology that they are still trying to prove out. And that's where, again, coming back to the infrastructure and how do you look at scaling your process, one of the, the approaches that, 
you know, taking a lesson learned from other industries, for instance, is more of this modular scale-up approach. So instead of building, you know, your full manufacturing facility day one with your entire throughput that you're targeting, have it just in a modular format where you can start up and produce, you know, let's say with your, your technology version one, and then as you learn and figure out the kinks and have your improvements, then you make that next investment into the the next um, modular build-out of the next phase. So, again, I think if for the folks that then shake out and potentially bit off more than they can chew, it's they went all in on a technology and the process that they might not have truly proven works at the full scale that is needed for this market. Um, and then... You know, the, the hope, obviously, is that on the initial, let's say, the, the initial wave of companies, as everything gets approved, I think you will see a lot, again, of more of those smaller one-offs. You know, in, in certain restaurants, you can get company A's. In other restaurants, you can get company B's cultivated meat. Um, but as, as time goes on, again, I think we'll start seeing a lot of consolidation uh, amongst the different the different groups, especially you know, similar to the the plant-based side is, you know, your the consumer at the end of the day, they're going to speak their mind and voice feedback on the flavor and the taste and the texture. And those are all key things that each of these startups are, are tackling um, at the same time and in their own way of making sure that everything comes in at a price point that the consumer can have, but also that when they bite into it, they don't, you know, have the, the negative feedback that, you know, maybe some of the early, plant-based products had and, and that we saw um, being voiced. According to Bond, the companies that survive this shakeout will be the ones that put the consumer first. Now, I know that this idea may sound obvious, but it wasn't a foundational value in the cultivated meat space or the plant-based protein segment for that matter, which means winners likely will need to shift their mindset and priorities for long-term success. The early stages of this industry, right, there was not the, the major focus on what the consumer's needs are, what the consumer thinks, and that, right, that led to the prioritization of a lot of the initial efforts just being on the technology itself and developing that. And then once, you know, I think a lesson learned, luckily, that this industry has over the plant-based uh, industry, because this one being so much newer, is they really can take advantage of the fact that once, you know, a lot of those early plant-based products hit the shelves, what may originally not have been even on the, the, the forefront of these manufacturers' minds, such as clean label, uh, sustainability of the product, uh, not necessarily in the, the sense of how they're manufactured, but just what they're trying to replace, how much value and importance the consumer put on that. But at the same time, again, what they've been learning is the consumer decides a lot with their wallet, right? That's how they make decisions. And so when they are not buying certain products or buying certain products and some of the the studies that have gone into those, a lot of it comes back to just taste, texture, mouthfeel, um, you know, a lot of the, the things food scientists are out there for. So it, it really leads to this, this intersection and I think this cultivated meat space is starting to to, I shouldn't even say starting. I think now they've already been on the, the the right track of making sure they have those experts in-house when they're developing their products because when you have, you know, a, a consumer that is used to buying, let's just say, a 
a chicken breast at a store and now they've been exposed to your plant-based or an alternative chicken breast option and now the market is looking at okay here's even a third option it goes back to that education point of the consumers how do you differentiate that how do you still not i don't want to you know make this sound bad how do you not weird the consumers out because you know your average consumer let's say in a, a major city is going to be different than a your average consumer in you know rural midwest america so how do you make sure that when it hits the grocery store when they see it in the packaging and they actually take the first bite that there's as minimal of a difference between the products as possible so there's been a lot of i think focus which is great within the cultivated space on, on within the companies of making sure that that is a higher priority than it potentially has been in the past. As production and consumer adoption increases in the next 10 years, Bond says that there'll be more wiggle room for companies to get more creative and offer products that consumers might not need or even imagine, but which they'll be more open to trying as they become more familiar with the basic value proposition of cultivated meat. Once the, the technology and, and the, the scale has been proven out, I mean, there's the opportunity to have products where, for instance, if, you know, fishing of, of certain fish becomes an issue because of overfishing or if um, other, you know, meat products are all of a sudden, you know, hard to come by either because of population decline of those those animals or if there was a, you know, like for instance, a swine flu that came through and, and reduced the total number of animals, there's the opportunity where this then can offset that decrease in production. So then you can just use the stem cells and then create that same product on the back end. I think that that's one of the other, you know, maybe not as much talked about exciting parts of this industry, but I do think it'll be a, a neat, neat aspect to see what, what happens in the long term. CRB goes into more detail about how the cultivated meat industry is maturing and what to expect in the next decade in its recently released 2023 Alternative Proteins Report, which listeners can download at go.crbgroup.com slash horizons-alt-protein. The report also takes a deep dive not only into cultivated meat, but also fermentation-derived proteins, plant and mycelium-based meat, and alternative dairy products and production methods. Those who are interested in alternative proteins can also get a crash course in all aspects of the industry, including taste testing, at Future Food Tech's Alternative Proteins two-day conference in New York City later this month. You can get all the details and register at www.futurefoodtechprotein.com. And if you go, let me know, as I'll be there with Food Navigator USA moderating a discussion about alternative seafood and networking with more than 50 startups and 800 plus attendees that are slated to attend. With that, we have reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.